Sixers Fix with Scott Ninnis. Join one of the Adelaide 36ers' favourite sons as we deep dive into everything past and present about one of the most storied franchises in the NBL. It's Sixers Fix, your Adelaide 36ers podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sixers Fix, your Adelaide 36ers podcast with Scott Ninnis. I'm your co-host Chris Pike, but the star of this show, obviously, because his name's on it, is Scott Ninnis. And we've had a terrific first two shows. And and Scott, thanks for joining joining us again. And let's hope this is something that can can really start to take off now that we're we're up and running. Absolutely, thanks, Chris. Uh, yeah, been really enjoying it. It's been a lot of fun. Really good show last week. We you had a had a terrific chat with. With Dusty Reichardt, you you had a chance to to get to another game on Saturday night or Friday night, sorry, obviously against the Cairns Taipans. Yeah, are you getting some feedback around town about about the show? Uh, yeah, absolutely. It was uh, it was oh, I've had people from all sorts of different walks in life who I you know some I didn't even know were interested in basketball uh, sort of mentioned it to me. Mm. So uh, yeah, look look, I think it's one of those things that you know hopefully we can continue to grow it and. Uh, you know, people can hear some interesting stories and, and certainly from some different characters and personalities uh, uh, that, that I've been involved with over the years. And, uh, yeah, look, it's it's, it's it's a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. And fantastic just to get some insights from from you about everything that's going on at the moment and obviously with your history with the 36s it's terrific that the club is supporting us as well to help help get us get our brand out there a little bit and and also to the guests we've had some great guests over the first two shows obviously with with Brett Maher and Dusty Reichardt and and for for this week's show um Rupert Sapwell the fantastic Adelaide personality had a fantastic NBL career and later in the show we'll we'll hear more about him but yeah you were able to sit down with him and have a really fascinating chat about a lot of different things. Yeah, look, uh, yeah, Sapper is, uh, you know, is a real, was a real cult figure here in Adelaide when he played, and uh, you know, obviously uh, played a, a key role in uh, you know those three championships we had in, in those five years from '98, '99, and 2002. And uh, yeah, look, it was it was a fascinating chat with him. Uh, we, we covered a lot of different mm. uh, different things, and, and not just basketball. And uh, yeah, it was very enjoyable. I'm, I'm sure people will uh, really enjoy it when they hear it. Yeah, we want to get to that as soon as we can so we won't hold you up too much. But we've got some on-court action to look back on, first of all, because the 36ers played played two games last last weekend. And first of all, Friday night at the Entertainment Centre. Another pretty good crowd, just over 6,000 people there. But I thought the 36ers, after a bit of a slow start, they responded pretty well. And probably the experience of Jerome Randall and Daniel Johnson really came to the fore down the stretch. And once again, a lot of guys stepped up. Anthony Drimmick, Ramon Moore, Eric Griffin, Jack McVeigh all scored in double-figure points, and so far when the Sixers have played well this season, it's been getting a lot of contributions from a lot of guys. What did you what did you make of the game last Friday? Oh, absolutely, Chris. I think we've we've touched on that before, that, um, you, you know, they, they're going to need, you know, a lot of contributors uh, to, to be successful, and that's probably no rocket science. It's probably mm. most most clubs need the same, but uh, I, I thought they did what they had to do. You know, they, they got a little bit of a scare, um, you know, with about a minute and a half to go, but... Yeah. You know, it was you know playing against Cairns. It was probably something you would have uh, you know, would have had that win penciled in. But you know, they they go and beat Perth in Perth, and then Melbourne United. Mm. So uh, 
you know, they're going to cause some trouble this year. So, uh, you know, I guess the good thing was the 36ers protected their home court, yep. uh, two from two there now. And uh, um, it was, in the whole scheme of things, it was a really important win, I thought. Yeah, I thought so too. Like, like we've talked about before, it's really important to win at home if you can win. Win 90% of your home games, it's a it's a massive step towards making the playoffs. And to go two from two in a new building where you probably would think it might take a little while to build up a home corner advantage, it's been a, been a really good start at home for, for the Sixers. But they didn't get much time to, to rest after it or to celebrate. They had to head straight to Melbourne to play the South East Melbourne Phoenix on on Sunday, who were who were coming off a 31-point hammering in Perth on Friday night, but Mitch Creek and his team managed to, to respond, and it was a good start by Adelaide, but they couldn't quite hold on down the stretches. It was a good game, a 10-point margin, I, I think, probably flatters the Phoenix. I think Adelaide was a lot closer, and a lot probably that end-up margin probably suggests... No, oh, look, man. I was really disappointed. I thought that there was there was an opportunity lost. You know, they 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 played so well. You know, in that first quarter and a half, and you know, got a got a good lead, and and you know, just let it slip, unfortunately. And and I think the you know momentum is such an important thing in basketball. And I think you know if they if they were able to go on with it, I think the Phoenix might have. Uh, yeah, might have let that one slip, yeah. but it was. Uh, look, I, I guess I, you know, the Sixers. I, I thought at times let themselves down. Um, you know, not really close. You know, some of the players not really closing hard out on on three point shooters, especially when uh, when we went to a zone, and yep. that would have been something I think was would have really disappointed Joey and. Uh, you know, suddenly the momentum swings back to them, and uh, you know they got a couple of plays you don't want to mm. open the door for. And, and, and Creek obviously was a was a big part of that, and they had they had some great contributors. So look, losing to the Phoenix and Melbourne on the whole scheme of things isn't isn't a major problem. But I just felt that it was an opportunity lost. Yeah, I felt so too. And you make a great point about the zone. That worked great in the first half, but maybe that was just because the Phoenix weren't hitting their shots, and it made made the zone look a bit better than it than it might have been because in the second half especially when Mitch Creek comes out and hits his two threes in that third quarter then Adam Gibson catches catches fire another another former Adelaide captain and he just couldn't miss for a five minute stretch there and hit, hit some big shots and, and then Robertson got going as well and started to hit some threes maybe they stayed in that zone a little bit too long because once the three started to fall the Phoenix really started to to look comfortable yeah, look, I mean, Robinson is a, you know, is a class shooter. I mean, he's, you know, he's an unbelievable yeah, shooter. Yeah. Um, you know, Mitch Creek, yeah, that's an improved part of his game. But uh, I, I think, you know, you know Gibbo's been a, been a great player in the NBL for a lot of years. I think that would be disappointing for Joey. You know, make him beat you in a different different sure. way. You know, make yeah. him put the ball on the basket. He's, he's you know, he's, he's not getting any younger and, uh, you know... Maybe he's not going to beat you going to the basket, but yeah. a catch and shoot. You know, you, you're talking about a guy who's who's been Olympian. Uh, you know, knows how to win, and uh, he's going to hit down those shots uh, more often than not. Going into last weekend, given Cairns was a tricky opponent coming off their big win in Perth, and then South East Melbourne haven't lost yet in Melbourne. Would have you taken one and one, or did you feel pretty disappointed come Sunday night that they didn't quite end up two and zero from from the weekend? I was. I was really disappointed. I thought they had a legitimate chance to beat the Phoenix, you know, with them having to travel back from Perth as well. Sure. And, and you know, they, you know, this time of the year is always an interesting one. And, you know, everyone at the moment considers themselves a, a playoff 
uh, possibility and, and maybe a championship possibility as well. So that that will sort itself out out of the next few weeks and, and probably already is starting to do mm. a little bit, I suppose. But, uh, yeah, it's a tricky one. If you, if you say we'll take one and one before the weekend, you know, we always get greedy and, and we mm. hope for two and oh. Uh, probably not a bad result, but, you know, I, I just felt that there was an opportunity to, uh, you know, to, to win that game in Melbourne and then uh, you, you start setting yourself up yeah, you know, pretty well. You, you start... Uh, you start four and one and uh, instead of three and two but um, uh, look it's behind us now and um, yeah and hopefully they, they put it behind them and, and start focusing on the next game just quickly before we get to your chat with Rupert Sapwell um, some of the other results from round four across the league I'll run through the results and you can let me know what what stands out to you way back on Thursday now New Zealand Breakers beat the Illawarra Hawks 103 to 72 most watched game in NBL history with 1.9 million viewers when you take in the, the, the Facebook <laughs> watches from around the world. Absolutely amazing. Yeah, incredible. Um, like we touched on before, the Perth Wildcats beat the South East Melbourne Phoenix 110-79. to I guess you're not a true NBL club until you've copped a hiding similar to that in Perth. Um, Melbourne United finally got on the board, beat New Zealand Breakers 104-98. to Sydney Kings still undefeated, beat the struggling Brisbane Bullets 94-79. to Illawarra Hawks, they, they lost Aaron Brooks. They didn't have Josh Boone, but they put up a good fight, but still lost to the to the Wildcats on Sunday. And then on Monday, Melbourne United struggled again. Cairns Taipans got the job done there, 90 to 85. It was a, a big round, Scott. Anything anything jump out at you from, from all of those results? Oh, I think, the, you know, the re- results by Cairns, I think, were, uh, well, maybe not a surprise, but, I mean, you know, I think that was probably the ones that people didn't expect. I think we've all been waiting for Melbourne United to, to hit their straps and get going. And, and you know, that's going to need to happen fairly soon. You know, like it's not it's not a long season. It's not a huge amount of games. You can't dig yourselves too much of a hole. And, and that's probably worries me a little bit with the Brisbane Bullets. Uh, you know, they're going to need to find their mojo fairly quickly um, yeah, before they dig themselves too much of a hole as well. But... Uh, as I've said over the last couple of weeks, it's just such an exciting time of the year because you just don't know who's going to win games and who's going to lose games. And uh, I, I really enjoy this time of the year, especially now that I'm not involved in it and, and results. <laughs> I'm not relied upon results to whether I keep my job the next week or so. But, uh, yeah, just uh, just really enjoying uh, the NBA at the moment. I'm enjoying getting your insights into the league as well, Scott. And- now, um, speaking of that, Rupert Sapwell, he's a guy that knows the league well and obviously played well, he played a few more games than you, just 360 games in the NBL. You had a terrific chat with him, and let's get straight to it. No problems. Looking forward to it. And welcome to episode three of Sixers Fix with Scott Ninnis. Uh, we've caught up with two of the greats of uh, Adelaide basketball in the last couple of weeks, and Brett Maher and Dusty Reichart. Very fortunate to be joined by another one again, the one and only Rupert Sapwell. Welcome, Rupert. Hello, Chew, and uh, isn't it a nice day? 38 degrees, we're sitting by the pool in my backyard, got the dog at my feet and a red wine in my hand. And uh, I must make mention of that before we uh, continue. Uh, I happen to be skulking around the uh, Barossa Valley today and uh, a gentleman by the name of Joe Evans from Ballycroft Wines uh, was kind enough to donate a a bottle of his 2016 Cabernet uh, for us to share tonight while we're doing this podcast. So uh, if you want, let me tell you, if you want a great experience in the Barossa, uh, Joe at Ballycroft is one of the great ones. He's a tremendous character and... uh, as we can probably attest to, his wines are pretty good as well. Oh, going down very nicely. Now, 
Obviously, we are here to drink red wine, Sapper, but we're also here to talk about you and uh, talk on your career. I-, I was thinking on the on the way over here about uh, your career. You were in a had an unbelievably uh, diverse and interesting group of coaches during your career. Uh, anything from uh, Mike Dunlap to Brian Gorgian to Guy Malloy to Phil Smythe. Um, can you maybe just touch on a couple of those guys and the influences they had on your career? Very fortunate, really. I mean, uh, I did get the full gamut of coaching and I thought that the um, uh, the experiences they, that they gave me really prepared me well for um you know, professional basketball. I think Ian Stacker was the very first one, just in, um, uh, and if we go further back than that, I was part of the Nutterwadding Junior Program, which was a, a real machine back then. So I had some fantastic junior coaches. And then first uh, professional coach was Brian Gorgian, coach and assistant coach with uh, Ian Stacker. And they're, well, Gorge is a very charismatic but control oriented coach. I felt like he was meticulously prepared, but I always felt that I was nervous when I was playing for him. Mind you, I was 17, so I could have been nervous about <laughs> a lot of things back then. But the gorge was, um, you know, fantastic for me. And then they sent me over to three years of college with Mike Dunlap, um, X36 a coach. And, and you survived? Oh, I did survive. <laughs> and uh, look, and I, I, I'm, I'm very philosophical about that experience now because, uh, you know, he was very, very demanding um, of me and, and put me through the ringer, especially, well, especially my freshman year, my first year there, but all three years, uh, I was never far away from a famous Dunlap spray. But I think there's, um, you know, there's a coaching philosophy, and I think uh, sometimes there's uh, ways to do things, and coaches often feel like they've got to either nurture someone back from some sort of adversity, or if their kids never had adversity, try and create some. And I was pretty blessed to have a, uh, an event-free childhood and I think it was uh, Mike Dunlap's um, operation to try and create some adversity so that I actually had something to fight back from so I actually believe that and uh, you know he's, there's very little that um, Mike Dunlap does that's not calculated so yep. um, I felt like he uh, toughened me up and there were no scenarios in my professional career after that that I felt were remotely as tough as um, sure. my three years with Dunlap so I think they gave me a real resilience there and that was probably if I'm honest, the most uh, valuable thing I got um, from any of the coaches. And then uh, came back and played two years at South East Melbourne Magic with Brian Gorgian again and, and uh, you know, fumbled around there and tried to find who I was as a pro. And I took this meticulous diary, Nini, um, <laughs> where uh, you know, I was pretty intense. Uh, and I took this diary about what I ate, how much sleep I got, um, uh, you know, how energetic I felt, uh, what sort of weights I was doing, what, how many reps I got up in my shooting. I, try, I was trying to find who I was as a pro and what my best routine was as a pro. And, and um, you know, I, in the, at, at the end of, well, after about 18 months of this and I was going nowhere with it, I found out I reckon I was just too tight, too, <laughs> wound out too <laughs> tight. And, and I remember writing in my diary, look, you know, you just got to have some fun, have a beer. Now, that was you know, a metaphor for just relaxing a little bit, you know, and I wasn't much of a drinker, but... Um, to have the, um, you know, the just enjoy the moment a little bit more and try not to be so intense about it. So yeah, absolutely. Um, and then uh, I was after two years of that, I really wasn't going anywhere. So uh, Ian Stacker had then taken the job at the Geelong SuperCats. So um, that was uh, interesting because Geelong uh, were a very fled, fledgling or and flailing uh, franchise at the time, and went down there to get some court time and definitely got that. 
but um, unfortunately, I think we end up being six and 22 or something, and they end up handing back their license. So after one year uh, of um, you know getting a taste of what um, you know court time felt like, <laughs> I was uh, I was back out without a job. And um, now I know that I know that was a tough year for you, Sap, because I remember you talking about it before. Um, I seem to remember recalling a story. Uh, that involved uh, the current Boomers coach, Andre Lamanis, uh, <laughs> during a timeout. Can you shed any light on, on that story? Should I? Should I? Go on. This is precious This is precious commentary for your <laughs> listeners, Nitty, and uh, preface this by saying that I have the highest respect for Andre Lamanis. Um, I think he does a magnificent job and, and the toughest job in Australian basketball to coach uh, 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 the Boomers team. But he was a, uh, a, an awesome assistant coach with Ian Stacker at the Geelong Supercats, and I remember... One of our few wins was at the arena against um, North Melbourne Giants, who were still an elite franchise at that stage. And somehow we snuck a win in overtime earlier in the year. And then we're coming to our return game back at the glass house. And Ian Stacker had given this magnificent pre-game speech. And it was just before we were about to go out on the court. So we were, we were fired up. I mean, it was just, this was an unbelievable, <laughs> this was an unbelievable uh, pre-game speech. We all lent in. Ian Stacker, um, you know, f- fantastic coach. Andre Lamanis going to be one of the best uh, coaches in Australian basketball. They all leaned in, and as Andre leaned in, a hip flask fell right out into the middle of the huddle. <laughs> clank, 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 clank. <laughs> right through there. I don't know what was in the hip flask, and I can only assume that it was probably empty by that stage. But uh, um, there was the Australian Boomers coach with a uh, hip flask that fell out of his. To be honest, and to be fair to both of those coaches, there was plenty of times where there were drink-worthy moments in that Geelong Super. Well, you. coaches get nervous too. Uh, sometimes they might need something to settle them down uh, pre-game. Uh, before we move on from Geelong, I just want to go back. You talked about as a 17-year-old going over to college. I think even before that, you did something that I don't probably know anyone else did, but you started a Nike commercial. I did have a Nike commercial, and uh, um, I'd like to say that it was, you know, based on looks. <laughs> I don't think you get a good look at my face in any of that, but it was... It was a 360-degree right... dunk, from what it I was. remember. Yeah, it was. So they had a... Um, the casting company came to Albert Park, and there was, a, I don't know, an under-20 state team practice or something, so they got us all to do some dunks at the start of practice, and, and um, the... I don't know, everyone was doing some regulation dunks. There wasn't much creativity in dunks back then, particularly with a <laughs> bunch of under-20 Aussie kids. <laughs> but um, just for fun, I went up and tried a 360. No, I'd never tried a 360 before. Really? Got nowhere, yeah, got nowhere near it. Threw it at the bottom of the ring. And the director, who had knew nothing about basketball, said, yeah, yeah, we want that thing. Do that, do that twisty thing again. <laughs> you know? Can that. he try and make it next Yeah, he tried. And, well, you know, and, uh, and so he'd locked in on this person doing a 360. Now, it had nothing to do with my ability as a basketballer or anything like that. It just happened to be that the 360 showed the three the full view of these shoes that they were trying to sell. Oh, so, correct. So, uh, yeah, anyway, um, fast forward about two or three weeks, and they were doing the shooting of this Nike commercial, and... Um, uh, I still didn't know how to do a 360, and uh, they had the camera all lined up. They'd been there since four in the morning and put me in makeup and gave me all these fancy clothes that were supposed to look like street clothes, and it was a beautiful little uh, outdoor basketball court in Collingwood. And, and they said, all right, so go and do that twisty thing again. They would do this, this movement, and they'd do the twisty thing and, and, uh, and go up and, and throw it in. It's like, you know, very technical <laughs> yeah. basketball stuff. Yeah. And I said, look, mate, I can't do a 360. And he said, hey, just do it. So anyway, try, try, try. And I'm, you know, this is 10, 15 dunks in. He starts to get frustrated. Like, just put it in. And fatigue. And fatigue (laughs) starts to come. I couldn't believe it, you know. I'm like, dude, I can't do this. I can't do this dunk. 
you know, as I'm doing it, I'm, I'm becoming more coordinated at this. So there's a coordination thing involved in this 360 as well, yeah. when to dunk and all that. And eventually, well, after about the, I'm not kidding, after about the 30th take, <laughs> I finally get one. They've got it on camera. The whole place erupts in, because I'm just, you know, how many takes does some guy need to do something? But put it on this Nike ad, and this Nike ad ended up running for three or four years, and they paid me a couple of grand to do it, which oh, was... really? Yeah, which was, Shit. incidentally, more maybe than... You, maybe you should have bought the red one. <laughs> and, and incidentally, was more than my, my professional basketball contract at the time. <laughs> so that was, uh, I was wrapped with that. But you were, you were very athletic as a, as a kid. Let's not sell yourself short. You, that, that was one of your real strengths, wasn't it? It, it, it was, yeah. I was a, uh, a state high jump champion. I jumped two metres and three in high jump, so um, that's a decent high jump. And uh, Absolutely. Um, yeah, but now, you know, I think if there's a warning to all of them, if you could get a camera on us now sitting by the pool, we both used to be good <laughs> athletes, choo-choo. What has happened? Look after your body, We people. discovered red wine. <laughs> so, yeah, that was the... Uh, I looked up as a Nike ad and it was... Boy, it was good. I, I used to play it in cinemas as well. And I remember going... I, I, remember, I remember it really clearly. Yeah. Know, it was different people from different sports and it was... Yeah, I, I do remember seeing that a lot. That was the Halcyon days. Uh, the, the, the first set of halcyon days in Australian basketball too where basketball was really a, a really cool thing to go to and yeah. they were you know we're selling out the tennis centre and at 13,000 people and um, so basketball was the thing so to get a young up and coming basketball it was probably a, um, something that they wanted to do and uh, I remember going uh, to a on a date with a girlfriend at the time, going to the cinema, and who, what should show up on my uh, on the uh, cinema beforehand? Nice. There's a Nike ad. So, nice, yes, nice. You planned right. that, didn't you? I did plan that. That, uh, <laughs> that was the highlight of the night, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> but there was, uh, yeah. So that, oh, you know, that's a long time ago. Yeah, and actually, recently, my um, sister found that ad, so I thought I'd lost it. Like I had it on a oh, old to be VHS. On, it'd have to be on YouTube somewhere <laughs> these days. It, it, it was on YouTube, so people can Google. Nike ads from 1990 or something like that, yeah. they might find it. So there you go. So after Geelong, obviously that didn't end up well. Uh, I don't think you, along with a lot of people, got, got the money you were owed. Is that, is Correct. that right? Yeah, and that's right. So where to from Geelong? Well, one of the things, again, I've come back to a couple of pivotal things that Mike Dunlap did for me. One, he prepared me for you know the, the intensity and the, uh, of basketball, but he was, at the end of 1996, still the Adelaide 36ers coach. Yeah. And the last thing he did before he left the 36ers would make, was make sure that I was signed. So at the end of that, that 1996 year, there were three teams that um, were asked forcibly to hand back their licence, Gold Coast, Hobart and Geelong. Yep. So there were 30 extra NBL players and no extra jobs. So yep. to try and find a, a job out of that was incredibly difficult. I reckon there were only a handful of players who actually picked up a, a contract and, and one of them was... You know, with me, and I don't. You know, I was one of the starters at Geelong, but um, probably pretty lucky to pick up a contract. And it came to Adelaide in '97 year when Dave Claxton was there. His first year, uh, you'd come back, but I came back uh, in Adelaide. And at the time I signed the contract, um, Geelong was supposed to have paid me out um, a year. So Adelaide signed me to a eight thousand dollar deal yeah. with the idea that Geelong would make up the extra money. Um, then Geelong just reneged on their deal. So I came to Adelaide on $8,000. On $8,000. $8, on $8,000. So. I think the first contract I signed was a three-year contract for $50 a game. So. <laughs> and, right. and I thought it was pretty cool too. <laughs> yeah, so the money has obviously uh, changed then. And, and look, if you ask most um, professional basketballers, what would you rather do? And they'd say, well, nothing. You know, like I'd, I'd, you're doing exactly what you want to do. Yeah. So, you know, the money stuff wasn't 
you know, really an issue as long as we could, uh, you know, make ends meet. And that's how I sort of came to start doing a lot of basketball clinics. But yeah. um, that 97 year was a bit of a rough one, in fact. It they was, didn't make yeah, it. look, I, I had a lot of time for Dave Claxon. He was uh, he was one of the assistants in my brief time with, with the Boomers, and I really enjoyed him. But I felt sorry for him a little bit that year. He got probably inherited the team, which is, is great opportunity, but... That wasn't the right team, was it? It was uh, it was a bunch of people who, uh, for whatever reason, it just didn't click. Well, they'd unlocked the they'd they'd unlocked the the cages basically because yeah. Dunlap had kept them all so um, tight and, and rigid in a structure and and uh, was a very forceful leader. And he got to Clacker and uh, and Clacker was you know again yeah well meaning but yeah um, you know when you. You set the inmates free. All of a sudden, it's a it's a bit it's a bit of a, a madhouse, and unfortunately, it was a bit bit wild that one. And he worked hard. We I remember working hard, but we just didn't have the yeah um, you know the horses either. I thought you know I thought we struggled a little bit with uh, import continuity there. Yeah. I think we started with Jeff Brown, and um, that didn't work out. And Willie Simmons came in halfway through, and we didn't have you know the Rob Roses of the world anymore. No, you know, no, so uh, right. yeah, you take Rob Rose out of any team, and it's going to be a bit of a hole. So. Yeah, that was a, a bit of a struggle of a year, and a few things um, went down that was sort of dissolved the um, the chemistry of the group. And yeah, it was a really rough year. And I, I remember, uh, I don't know, I think it was the the last regular season game of the year. We were playing the Melbourne Tigers, and we had to win to to get in and uh, to get into the well. final. And uh, um, three-quarter time... No, it was a three-quarter time? I can't remember. I think it was. Yeah, so three-quarter time, Leon Trimmingham walks in, walks into the change room and everyone's going, where's Trim gone? And, uh, and Trim thought well, the game was over. That's where we were going that year, wasn't it? <laughs> and and I, I believe that he had his flight booked on the Monday. Mm. Regardless. So, yeah, things... T- <laughs> well, that's, that's enough of that, which led into the, the golden era of, of Phil Smythe and Steve Breeny and, and a lot of immediate success. Um... You know, some of the fondest memories for all of us. Obviously, how did you find that era? That was amazing. I remember, first of all, going in when Phil first came into the to the group and said, look, you know, I, know, I was a Dunlap guy. Mm. And I know that Dunlap and and, uh, and Smythe had not gotten along. That, that, that wasn't... That, that was would a, be fair to say. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> so, you know, in, in a lot of worlds, um, coaches politically might make that choice to say, OK, this guy's not yep. one of my guys. Yep. Get rid of me. So, sure. And I went into Phil, um, fully, fully expecting not to be um, re-signed. And uh, uh, I know Chris Blakemore at the time, who Phil had played with, was um, you know sort of floating around and not doing anything. And he was a fantastic sixer at the time and had made the Boomers team. And yep. a lot of things could have gone um, against me. But uh, Phil Smythe, before I'd finished the sentence, said, nah, you're great. He must have looked at my $8,000 contract and went, oh, <laughs> yeah, we can afford that guy. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, but, uh, you know, First of all, that was the first nod that was like, hey, you know, the guy is willing to give me a chance, so I've got to do everything I can to get that right. And we've talked about this a few times publicly, but, you know, like getting Darnell Mee was massive because uh, he was such a, an unbelievable player and then he brought in some goofball that uh, he'd played with in Denver and <laughs> and uh, that guy was a, an absolute uh, bust for the first four or five weeks of preseason. And I, I know for a fact that we'd all taken bets on when he was going home. KB you're talking about, yeah. obviously, and uh, it, it was. And, you know, he, he basically came as just a recommendation from his best mate in mm. Darnell. And, uh, yeah, talk about uh, the rest is history. Yeah, he was unbelievable, wasn't he? And um, I, I do remember being very conscious of this at the time. Um, 
But uh, Phil was very much a let you play type of person. Make, let, give, gave all the reins over to players. He really trusted his players. And uh, coming from a very rigid background, uh, even with Dave Claxton, but before that with Gorgian and Dunlap, who were uh, very, very structured, very organised, and in, in every scenario you had a certain thing you had to do. And yep. I remember uh, defending the first on-ball screen and almost freezing in my tracks because I just realised that Phil hadn't given me a rule to abide by yep. to, in order to guard that. And uh, I said to him, whoa, 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 and I just, you know, I, I, I remember almost getting a pit in my stomach like I just didn't know, I didn't know what to do. And I said, yep. you know, Phil, what do you want me to do? And he looked at me like, well, what do you want to do? Just, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, uh, you know, who's coming off the screen? Who's setting it? Yeah. And, and he challenged me to make, um, to ask questions about this and actually figure out who was in, involved in the on-ball screen um, and learn how to defend that based on, um, you know, personnel. So for the first time in my life, I was forced to think yeah. on the basketball court. And I hadn't actually had to think about that, anything up until that stage. So Phil, for me, was um, the right coach at the right time because... Um, he, he forced me to think and, became, uh, and forced me to become a thinking player. Now, plenty of people will argue that, well, when did you ever become a thinking player? But, you know, because I was very much energy-based. But the, the idea that um, he let players make decisions on the court was very liberating for so many players. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you look back on those teams now and they were veteran, t- veteran players who, yeah, you know, they didn't need hard sit and fast rules. Mm. So, you know, everyone had everyone's back and everyone backed each other up defensively. You know, having playing for you know Gordon Dunlap myself, yeah, half the trainings were spent doing drills of split line and lane line, and mm. and you know, Phil just let people play, and it was you know obviously more well, history shows who he's definitely the right coach at the right time, and that that success we had three championships in five years is uh, you know it's just such a special time. Fun is vastly underrated, and I think the higher you get, the more coaches feel like they have to justify their stuff with science. Mm-hmm. And if it's not measurable, then it's not real. And uh, so how do you measure fun, you know? But uh, yeah. you know, the, the culture stuff that Phil was able to uh, generate, and look, you know, it was Phil, but by getting out of the way, he yeah. and, he and uh, Steve Breeny were smart enough to get out of the way, it allowed those veteran players to develop their own culture, develop a lot of buy-in, yeah. um, high level degree of ownership, all those sort of things that um, high-performing teams have. But, um, you know, those those practices, uh, five on five, were super competitive. And every Absolutely. every day we're, we're honing our competitive skills and, and learning how, to, you know, we had a rerun of motion offense, so it's very hard to, to scout. You can't cheat the play, so we became a lot more... Um, uh, queued in defensively too because we had to defend all these unpredictable scenarios and so yeah. our defence was vastly underrated. We scored a lot of points but yeah. we had to defend those high octane scorers every day of practice so we became very good defensively as well and well, those I, things all uh, yeah, uh, you're, rolled into one. You're right, I mean we, we had Darnell who obviously was an elite defender and one of the best defenders the NBL has ever had. We also had some guys who weren't great defenders. I think we had what we did have when we were talking about post Defenders, uh, you know, Mark Davis and yourself were, were great post defenders. And you talk about the on-ball screen, you guys could show and recover your man quickly. But you know, the the before mentioned uh, KB and Martin Catalini probably weren't the greatest defenders. <laughs> I'll throw myself into that mix as well. But but team defensively, just everyone backed each other up, and that that was you weren't afraid of getting beat because you knew your teammate had your back. And that's true. And you can be a lot more aggressive defensively when you know that the rotations are going to be there. And even if they weren't, they were 
We, we, because we had no heart and fast rules, if we decided to be aggressive defensively, it was different from the last two plays yeah. because we had, you know, we weren't locked into something we had to do every single time. And Phil and Steve gave us suggestions, and you know that was great. And we were smart enough to, to you know, make those right decisions more often than not. Yeah. So it was a really joyous basketball um, period for for me and. You know, you see these Steve Kerr interviews about the Golden State Warriors. Well, no, not so much anymore, but, the, um, you know, when they were in their uh, most unbeatable days, and he talks about joy a lot. Yeah. And I just felt like uh, it was a really happy time for us. Winning obviously helps, but, you know, whenever we get together, I don't think about the games. No. I don't, I don't look at uh, photos of my ring. Yep. Um, I look at... I, I remember people. I remember yeah. um, locker room banter. Or I remember all those things where we got along so well because the culture was awesome. Yeah. And uh, you know, when I when I create when I think about those things, I, you know, maybe I look at a championship photo every now and then. But then I I think about scenarios and events that happened that made those those championships so good. And it was all about those you know, the jokes in the change room and the and the you know the stuff that we used to do day to day. So that the uh, the friendships are infinitely more important to me than the, the sure. jewellery. Now, I'm going to go on a limb here and say that your career highlight was probably Game 3 of the 2002 Championship Series. <laughs> uh, would that be a fair comment? Yeah, look, uh, I, I reckon I can count on all the digits of my body, maybe 20, where I had well, 20, good games. Or, or 21, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, like, uh, I, I, I didn't play too many fantastic games, like, but... For whatever reason, and I don't know what it was, I can't put my finger on it, but I always played well in big games. Yep. And if I'm going to guess as to why that was, it's because I played at playoff intensity with every minute I had, because I only sure. had, I don't know what my career average might have been in minutes, but I didn't. I, pl- I definitely spent more time on the bench than on the court, so yep. maybe I'm 12 minutes a game, my career. So when you, we've only given 12 minutes a game. You can play as hard as you possibly can because, you know, most people can go for 12 minutes. So I'm... All my life, I'm playing as hard as I can for 12 minutes. And people who, who aren't used to playing in finals, they think they have to up the ante and play a little bit harder. Maybe they're playing a little bit harder than they normally would. But yeah. for me, the, I can't play any harder. So I'm used to that, that pace of the game. And everything to me was life or death. So the next 36 of final was no different than the last one. So but I think I felt like that was Was normal. it 19 points in the first half? It was 18 points 18 in the first points half. 18 points in the first half. And I... I don't watch too many games, <laughs> but, but that if I'm one's feeling a little, if, if, if the sap is a little bit sad, you might, I actually do have that one, I, and I actually don't have, I actually don't have any, any games. I actually don't yeah. have any games um, yeah. left. But the, the That's three games you taped all of them onto the wall. <laughs> yeah, got multiple copies of that one. There are, I think the, those ones. I don't actually remember very many games that I play, and yeah. I can't I can't go run you through play by play what was happening. But yeah. um, again, I, I that was nice, and, and it was nice that it happened to me, and it was kind of ironic. Like I had I don't know maybe I had three points the game before, so you know I'm not going in with a whole lot of form. <laughs> but you know I think the I felt confident, you know, and I, and the important thing I think for anyone who's going in a team environment is my teammates. I felt my, my teammates were confident in me. Yeah, that's so important for an athlete to. To feel like the, his teammates have, have got his back, or you know, like if those things happen, then um, yeah, you feel like you got a chance. So 
I knew that uh, strategically Simon Dwight, one of the greatest shot blockers in history of the NBL, um, was going to guard me at some stage and he wants to hang So you by were the safe ring. out of the three-point I was. <laughs> yeah, I really was. And so I knew that I was going to be um, have an easy shot out there. And so strategically that was always in my mind that, hey, I'm going to shoot my first shot, which was always close to my mind. I was always going to shoot my first shot. But yeah. <laughs> uh, when the first shot goes down, then, you know, that sort of stuff generates. And I yeah. just kept getting open. And, you know, because of our sort of... <laughs> freelance style of basketball it uh, things were unpredictable so it wasn't like they had to they could scout anything and um, yeah I just remember uh, yeah things uh, going my way a few balls rolling my way and things happening I mean that was such an unbelievable playoff run but I remember in that game we went in at half time Phil had always let the team go in and, and spend a few minutes talking and then Phil, Steve and myself would go in and chat about things and I remember going into our, our office at half time of that game and it was you know, 72 to 50 or yeah. 49. And we all just looked in there. No one said anything. And we just looked at each other and just started laughing. <laughs> it was like, what the hell just happened? Yeah. You well, know, we were, what, we're going to win another championship. We were from... 13 of 14 from the three-point line. <laughs> 13 of 14, any? That, that doesn't happen ever. Quite, quite incredible. And, uh, look, I mean, uh, after, after uh, Adelaide, uh, obviously you went on to the, the, to the Cairn Taipans and that was, that was your swan song uh, in, in Adelaide. And, and, you know, some up and down years, I suppose. Yeah, that was a pretty tough uh, couple of years. So the I think literally uh, a month after I'd signed the contract, um, no, a month after I got up there, so maybe it was on the day of... I remember it was being on the day of the first game. We got so, you know, some news that really shook me. So um, my wife was diagnosed with uh, breast cancer. So on the day of the first game of the Cairns Taipans, my wife, was, Cindy, was diagnosed with breast cancer and... Those who have any, ever had any um, um, series of uh, serious illness in their family knows how what a crazy time that can be, and so that obviously you know rocked everyone's world. Um, so that became a real that you know basketball became a distant second. Yeah. Um, you know when you are faced with real life problems. Um, you know, wife who just given birth to our second child was diagnosed with breast cancer and. Uh, you know, no one knew anything. We were very scared and yep. uh, up in a new place away from our friends. And those things became, um, you know, real things. And that was uh, uh, something that was a, a real struggle. So, um, yeah, basketball sort of at Cairns, um, you know, Cairns didn't get my best, um, you know, that first year especially because, uh, you know, things were on fire. And, uh, you know, and rightly so, you know, you, you, you tend to circle the wagons pretty tight when um, those sort of things happen. And sure. Yeah, thankfully, obviously, uh, Cindy, um, you know, got through the um, the operation. She got a, um, you know, the lump cut out and had, um, uh, you know, her rounds of chemo and radiation and, um, uh, you know, some great support from uh, my mum up there and uh, some friends and, and the NBL, as it turned out, because the NBL paid for her to um, come back to... Uh, to Adelaide uh, to get the treatment because there was no oncologist up in Cairns. So, yeah, yeah that was a pretty scary time, but uh, also just an absolute blessing because um, we always had a pretty, you know, firm grip on reality, but when you're faced with a life-threatening illness, um, things become real simple. Sure. You know, there's, uh, there's only family. <coughs> only family, friends, health. Yep. And uh, once, once, you know, we sort of got through that, 
there was no, there was absolutely nothing that could have uh, bothered us. So it actually springboarded us into the next phase of our life, sort of sure. uh, post-cancer for Cindy, and she's now, whatever that is, 17 years cancer-free, so another um, happy story. But, Fantastic. And got some great, uh, yeah, great care and all that sort of thing. But, you know, people, you know, People are undergoing these sort of things all the time. So, you know, when you you go through that, you, the end result for us is simplification. Nothing, the small stuff is so immaterial. Um, you learn to, you know, only worry about the big stuff. So, you know, it became a very, very simple, joyous life for us after that. So every, every moment was precious. And um, so that Cairns couple of years, or well, the first year was pretty rough. The second year with, uh, you know, still going through some of the treatment, um, you know, I'm up at, uh, you know, doing the feedings with the um, the baby and um, trying to get together and be a professional athlete. And then, uh, you know, because Cindy's going through chemo. So, Cindy, get up and do my, do my yeah, baby yeah, for yeah. me. Yeah, Probably wasn't going to work out all that <laughs> no, well for you. No, that's right. So, yeah, you know, like, uh, so it was hard. You know, it was yep. definitely hard. And um, But still, Cairns, fantastic basketball community. Loved my time up there. My parents came up to support us through that time end up staying up there they're still up in Cairns so they loved it um, I've got a soft spot for Cairns as well you know there are Adelaide people could um, empathise with Cairns people because they don't have the resources that other people have yep and uh, do it tougher and you do it with a very community base and Adelaide is a bigger Cairns but still have the same mindset is that it's a, us against the world and yep. people don't want us there because you know we're a pain, you know. We're a pain in their side, and you try and do things on less resources. And so, uh, that time up in Cairns was excellent. They'd never made the finals. They were easy beats. They were constantly down the bottom of the ladder. And after two years there, um, we made the final. Not only did we make a final, we beat Perth Wildcats in the final, knocked them out, which is always nice. Yes, it is. Because <laughs> you know, I've got a, you know, it's I'm an Adelaide guy, so I naturally hate the Perth Wildcats. <laughs> So the you know that time up in Cairns is really good, really good, and uh, you know we, we turned that franchise into something that was um, the Cairns people could be proud of. And then for a while there, particularly under Aaron Fern, they were a, they made a couple of grand finals yep. and did really well. But those first couple of years there, we're changing the culture, and um, you know I feel uh, together with guys like David Cooper and Brad Davidson and Anthony Stewart, who were um, had a hit, you know were were good quality guys. Yep. Um, we changed the culture there and. Um, got a couple of uh, wins and started making finals. and So that stuff was up there was still very rewarding for me personally. We didn't uh, get the championships that we won in Cairns, but I felt like um, um, yeah, that was a really rewarding time. And Guy Malloy was there and, again, very meticulous coach. But he was the anti-Phil in terms of um, control. Yeah. Guy was the ultimate control guy. He liked to orchestrate everything and... Um, was there kind of like the conductor, whereas Phil was like, you know, would step back and get out of the way, and um, and and Guy really struggled with that. And I remember yeah. a couple of times, um, uh, Guy would say, oh, "Look, I would say, look, you, why don't we run motion? We had guys like Marcus Timmons up there, and Anthony Stewart, and yeah, Brad Davison, veteran guys. Darnell Me was up there in my second year, yep. so he got it there. And uh, we had these all these guys who were you know, fantastic basketball brains, and. Um, and, and I asked Guy at the time, well, why, why wouldn't you want to run motion? And, and uh, you know, we ran motion in Adelaide and it was, went really well. And, yeah. and he goes, look, you know, I wouldn't run that because down in Adelaide you had so many smart guys. And I was like, dude, <laughs> where was the last time you were in that Adelaide change room? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but the, pop, the, the thing was, it was, there was, a, there was a coach mindset there. And the coach mindset was, I believe in you. Uh, you're going to do well. Go out and do it. Yeah. And whereas Guy was a naturally um, nervous, 
but highly prepared guy who would who would, who would yeah. um, do so much work behind the scenes because he didn't want to leave anything to chance. Sure. But you know, the, the, what that uh, transposed as in, in games was, uh, I, I don't trust you, I want to orchestrate everything. Yeah. And, and uh, again, you know, guy is a, you know, an awesome coach and uh, what he's probably forgotten more than I'll ever know. But yeah. he's, uh, that was one of those um, classic examples of... Um, you know, black versus white. This is uh, this is. You know, I believe in you, or I'm nervous and I don't want this to happen. And I really want. I really like this job. And I don't want to lose it. So, um, guy, in the end, probably held on too tight. Yeah. Well, it's been a fantastic chat, Sapper. Once again, a big shout out to this Ballycroft uh, 2016 Cabernet. It's not too bad a drop, is it, Sap? Uh, my my. I feel disappointed. Because it's, because, it's, because it's over. <laughs> like, I, there's, there's nothing left in that bottle. I've, I've, I've tried. I've looked. I, I, squeeze I, it out. No, no. You, know, you do that. You do that. There's, there's, <laughs> there's nothing left in there. So, no, that was a beauty. And, uh, Nini, I'm, uh, I really love your podcast. I've listened to all of them. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, I'd like to say that I'm by far the most charismatic of all your guests so far. Well, I've only had Marzi and Dusty. It's, uh, it's, it's uh, a small sample size, it's isn't it? It's pretty, yeah. But, uh, yeah, look, uh, you know, obviously Rupert... Uh, you know, one of the great cult figures of the 36ers. The fans here loved you. Um, we had the ultimate success with you three times. You're part of the glory years of the 36ers. And uh, thank you for coming on uh, Sixers Fix. Pure joy. Okay, welcome back here to Sixers Fix, your Adelaide 36ers podcast. And and Scott, that was a, a fascinating chat with, with Rupert Sapwell. He's always entertaining but we got to see a different side of him there as well a, a much more serious side to him and he's a, he's a great character he had a, had a terrific basketball career he's obviously stayed involved in basketball since his playing days as well and he speaks well and I guess that's why he's had the, the media roles that he's had over the years but that was a terrific chat and I'm sure you enjoyed the chance to sit down with him as well fantastic it was uh, I, I found things out about Sapper that I didn't know myself mm. and uh, obviously known him for a long long time um you know, we've been coached by a lot of the same people. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, Mike Dunlap, Brian Gordon, Phil Smythe, um, Dave Claxton. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, it, it was really fascinating. It was great to get such a great insight uh, to someone who not just, not just uh, you know, had a terrific career, but is just, uh, you know, one of those really genuine, uh, nice people that you meet as well. Yeah, and no, I really enjoyed listening to it. And hopefully everybody else tuning in this week did as well. And, yeah, thanks again to, to Rupert for, giving up his time and and for you chasing him down as well scott um now plenty to look forward to this weekend as well um let's move into round five of the nbl and all the attentions on saturday at the entertainment center i think well and truly the biggest crowd expected in the in the building now for saturday night with the sydney kings andrew bogut casper ware and company coming to town jerome randall has every reason to be fired up to, to play his, his former team given um, basically, in the off-season, they made the decision that they felt Casper Ware was, was a better option than him. So you would think Jerome won't have any shortage of motivation, but so should everyone else on that 36ers team because this is a chance to, to make a statement and to do it in front of a crowd that could get very close to 10,000 people. What are you expecting on Saturday night, Scott? I'm actually predicting the 36ers to win, which people might think is probably a little bit crazy after our last, uh, last outing against them, but I... I I think there's some pretty good matchups for us. I think that 
You know, Andrew Bogut is, is not going to want to defend uh, Daniel Johnson sure. and Harry Froling out to the three-point line. If they can if they can make some shots, it's going to change the uh, context of the game, I think. Um, and, and look, Sydney are rolling, no question. But they're not going to go through undefeated through the mm-hmm. whole season because that, that just doesn't happen. So there there is a loss coming up at some stage in their future. And, and, and I just think, you know, there, there's going to be confidence... You know, coming back home and, and playing here, um, you know, I, I think, you know, you trust Joey in coming up with a, a game plan to work against them. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I'm going to be sitting next to Paul Reese, so uh, mm-hmm. hopefully I get to actually see some of the game because he'll be talking <laughs> the whole game and uh, certainly get him up on uh, Sixers Fix at some stage yeah. in the near future as well. But I, I, I think the Sixers can win this and um, once again, there's probably, probably I'll be one of the few that would predict them, but uh, mm. I think it's going to be a really entertaining game. No, I, I, I'm with you, and it's not just because we're here doing a 36ers podcast. I think on their home floor, you know, Sydney have been been good, but I think I think Sydney would still feel like themselves that they can still play a lot better. So I don't think they've quite peaked yet, and obviously without Kevin Lish there, they've still got room to improve. But interesting news this week. I, I, I think you would have caught up with it, Scott, that they. They've signed Deshaun Taylor, who was the man that the 36 has cut to bring in Jerome Randall. I don't think he's going to be in town in time to play on Saturday night. That would be an incredible bit of drama if he was. But what, what did you think when, when you heard that news? Oh, look, it makes it, it makes it a little bit more interesting if, uh, like you said, I don't think he'll play, but it's... Uh, um gives that guy an opportunity to come in and, and you know, prove Adelaide, Adelaide mm. wrong, that they made the wrong decision. I, I don't think they did. You know, I watched him in a pre-season game and, uh, you know, I was fairly uh, fairly close to it before that. I think that, uh, you know, he's young. Um, yeah. You know, he gets his opportunity to play, but um, it gives him a great opportunity to showcase his skills over the, this next bit of time that, uh, that Kevin Lish is out of the game. Yeah, I think it's the right move too. And it's no disrespect to... Deshaun Taylor, I just think that this Adelaide team has seven or eight guys who are terrific role players. Daniel Johnson is the one stud on the team, and they just needed another experienced leader who would t- would grab the big moments by the neck, and that's what Jerome Randall does, and that, that that's why I think it's a good move. It's not it's not because Deshaun couldn't have been a good player. I just think that they probably had too many players similar to Deshaun already, and and so far we've seen. We, with, you know, Dremick and McVeigh and, and these sort of guys, that they've stepped up to play the role that probably Deshaun was going to be playing anyway. Yeah, most definitely. And I think that's, you know, Randall is always uh, is always a danger. Every every second he's on the court. And, uh, you know, I, I've been really impressed with Anthony Dremick over the last mm. couple of weeks. So, and, you, you know, like, I think his defensive intensity, he's, he's come up some, some, with some really important defensive plays over the last few weeks. You know, he's always a danger offensively. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's probably put those guys back into the roles that they could play with probably not quite as much pressure on sure. them and just ability to, to showcase his skills and shine. And uh, yeah, certainly in the wins they've had, that, uh, that's definitely been the case. Have you noticed much of a difference so far in a Friday night game compared to a Saturday game at the Entertainment Centre? And are you expecting bigger crowds for a Friday or Saturday? Are you expecting it to be much of a difference? Look, Saturday nights have all, traditionally have always been 
the night for, for 36 home games. Mm-hmm. Uh, for whatever reason, uh, you know, Friday night is traditionally has been a junior, you know, it was when junior basketball is and, and a lot of junior sport uh, throughout Adelaide. So Saturday nights has always been our, you know, our main night. So that's that's a great thing. You know, you bring Andrew Bogut and, you know, obviously Brad Newley, who's an Adelaide mm-hmm. boy, yeah. you know, you, and the fact they're five and zero and, uh, you know, you bring that team into town, you know, people are going to come out and watch. And I, I think it's going to be very exciting to see a lot of people in that, uh, in that uh, entertainment centre tomorrow night for that game. Yeah, really looking forward to it. Can't wait for the game. And if you haven't got your ticket yet, head to Ticket Tech and make sure you get along. It's easy access to the entertainment centre. You'll have no trouble getting there. There's not a bad seat in the building, so support the 36ers and, and get along on Saturday night. It's a big round five across the league as well, Scott. We've already By the time we're recording this, we've already had, had one game played, and that was over in, in New Zealand on Thursday night. The Breakers got the win over the Cairns Taipans, 93-85. to 85. Quick reactions to, to that result? I've just, uh, mate, I've just got Brett Mart, mm-hmm. who's just walked in the room and said, stop talking about yourself. So <laughs> there you go. Tri- triple Olympian just making a little... Uh, little cameo? Uh, little... Hi. <laughs> Out. Sorry, now I've got my daughter in here. Uh... Let's give pe- people a peek behind the curtain. You're currently having a, a family barbecue with Brett Mart tonight and his family as we're recording this, aren't you, Scott? Three-year-old daughter being a pain in the ass, a triple <laughs> Olympian being a pain in the ass, mate. It's, it's all happening in the Nettis household tonight. <laughs> there, there you go. If you, if you needed to know what this show's all about, there, there's a little bit bit of a peek behind the curtain for our for, for our listeners. Um, yeah, I mean the, the break is probably as expected. Beat the Taipans on on Thursday night on their home floor. That goes as expected. Uh, um, you know, New Zealand. Uh, oh, I think New Zealand are, are going to be okay. I think mm. they're, they're going to certainly. You're certainly challenged for that, uh, you know, one of those playoffs positions. Friday night, standalone game, Brisbane Bullets, they they really need to win. This, the, the pressure starting to build on them. But the Perth Wildcats come to town and, you know, home or away, the Wildcats are n- never an easy team to, to get on top of. A uh, key game for Andre Lamanis here. Uh, yeah. You know, three, three losses on the trot. They just have to find a way to win this game. Yeah, I get. You know, it's, it's always a little bit awkward talking about must-win games this early in the season. I, I find that to be a bit of a crock at times, yeah. but uh, yeah, they, they really need to turn things around and uh, against, uh, couldn't find a tougher opponent. Then on Saturday, another another Melbourne derby early in the season, South East Melbourne playing Melbourne United. You're talking about must-win games, it might not be quite must-win for Melbourne United right now, but given they're 1-4, and four, it's pretty close. Absolutely, um, and, and I think that's uh, yeah. I'll go Melbourne United with this one. Yeah. Uh, not uh, not for any good reason. I just think for probably for the reasons you just said that they need to get back on the uh, on the winning track, and uh, otherwise, you know, the seasons can can start to slip away from you when you yeah. when you're talking about not a lot of games. Uh, this is a really important game for them. Then on Sunday, down in Invercargill, so a big trip for the Wildcats. They take on the. The New Zealand Breakers, a chance for the Breakers to start to, to build some momentum? Uh, breakers for me. Yeah. Uh, I think they'll just be, uh, too, once again, too important a game. Um, you know, Wildcats on the second second leg of a road trip. You know, got some old war horses in that team that, you know, the legs might not mm-hmm. quite stand up, stand up as well as they yeah. like. But, uh, yeah, New Zealand for me. Then also on Sunday, in Canberra, um, Illawarra Hawks, Brisbane Bullets. Depending on how the Bullets go against Perth on Friday, this could be an even bigger game in the context of their season. But for the Hawks, they're 1-6. Aaron Brooks is done for 
for the season. He's after rupturing his Achilles. We're not sure on the status of Josh Boone either, so it looks like you'd think, for the board's sake, this would be a game they, they should be able to pencil in. Yeah, I'll have a cheeky couple of dollars on the Brisbane Bullets on uh, against the, the Hawks. Uh, yeah. Away from home, going to Canberra, which, uh, let me tell you, back in the day was the road trip that you did not want to go to. Mm. Back where, back when the NBL was a winter season and Phil Smythe oh, yeah. and Herb McEachin and some of these people were running around, <laughs> going there playing that bloody hellhole of uh, the palace mm-hmm. with 5,000 people on those concrete seats <laughs> and, and always get your ass kicked. Yep. <laughs> so, yep. <laughs> uh, doesn't hold great memories for me and <laughs> I think uh, by the end of that uh, day it might not hold great memories for the Illawarra Hawks yeah. either. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, last game of the round, Monday night, Melbourne Cup Eve in Melbourne and it's Melbourne United and the Sydney Kings. Casper Ware's first visit back to Melbourne. Depending on what happens earlier in the in the round, it, it could hold a, a lot of significance for Melbourne as well. Um, but we, we know how good the Kings are going. Um, we'll see them on Saturday night in Adelaide. Um, a lot riding on this game, potentially. Uh, yeah, toss a coin for me, I think. Um, yeah, look, I might go with Melbourne as well, mm-hmm. um, which, which makes uh, Sydney 5-2 and two by the end of the weekend, yeah. if my predictions are right, and uh, they probably won't be, but... Uh, <laughs> Um, once again, you've got some ageing players in, in that Sydney Kings. Uh, you know, if, if Adelaide do what they what they need to do and, and give them a really tough game, you know, backing out for that second go. I know it's a, a, there's a couple of days in between, but mm. uh, once again, Melbourne need to start winning games. Yeah, well, as fascinating as all those games sound, I think the game of the round clearly is Saturday night at the Entertainment Centre. 36ers and the Sydney Kings. Make sure you get along. Scott will be there courtside. Hopefully, Paul Reese lets him enjoy the game. Um, <laughs> uh, it's going to be a, a massive game. A terrific show again. All thanks to you as well, Scott, this week. And your chat was with Rupert Sapwell was fantastic. What can you leave us with in terms of some final thoughts? And then we'll, we'll look forward to doing it all again next week. Oh, look, not, uh, nothing uh, mind-blowing, but, uh, you know, just the fact that it's... I think, you know, basketball is so entertaining at the moment. It's just... a. Uh, Great time to be around. You talk about you know that New Zealand Illawarra game being the highest watched game in NBA you know in history is it's just incredible. You know the the next star uh, you know with what they've got with those players going on at the moment is uh, is great. You know you've got the Andrew Bogus playing back in this league and uh, um, you know. All credit to Larry Kesselman. I think he's, he's, the money he's put in and, and the system he's put in place is uh, always really well for the future of uh, basketball in this country.